Hi, I'm Carla. And I'm Michael. And we're Go Postal Podcast. We're the podcast that tells you stories about what people have done while drunk, while also giving you some facts about boobs, booze, and the bazaar in the places where these stories take place. We also have a weekly contest where you tell us where the F I am. So join us for some drinking, learning, and laughing. You can listen on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, Google Play, and anywhere else you get your podcasts. Find us online at Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at GoPostalPodcast, and send us your drunk ramblings and anecdotes. You can also email your stories to GoPostalPodcast at gmail.com. Auf Wiedersehen. Ciao. Welcome to Rock Candy. Yay, we're back. We're back. We never really left, actually. Technically, we didn't. We did not technically leave. No. (laughs) It felt like we did, though. Right, but they don't know that. In reality, we were gone for a while. (laughs) Right? It's weird. It's weird. We're back to our regularly weekly scheduled program, and I kind of never want to not do that again. Back to life. Back to reality. Back to the here. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Anyway. (laughs) No, it's nice. That's good. (laughs) You're welcome. That's good. New theme song. Well, we are your weekly podcast bringing you sweet treats of stories from the grand old world of music that can make you get rhythm or make you cry, cry, cry. (laughs) I made up a thing. That was good. (laughs) Was it? It was pretty good. It was all right. It was all right. We're your two lady hosts. I'm Yaggy. I'm Ashley. And this week, we are going ahead, and we are talking about the one and the only Johnny Cash. Duh. Duh. In case all of our hints haven't <laughs> sold it to you by now. We're, we're talking Johnny Cash. For and, two weeks, at least. For the uh, next, this episode, next episode, I yeah, think. There's a lot, guys. There's a lot to his story. I knew that, <laughs> and I'm still overwhelmed. It's fine. And tonight's thematic beverage is a beer called Sue. From Nashville's own Yazoo Brewing, which is a phenomenal brewer. Yes. I love it. We, I don't think we had a bad beer when we were there. No. And, and Sue, we had pretty much all their beers. I'm, yeah, we went there twice while we were in Nashville. <laughs> we don't have a problem. <laughs> we were only there for three and a half days-ish. Yeah. And we were there twice. But um, I think between the two of us, we had... All of the beers. Yeah. And they were all very good. Yes. And this one is a nice porter, nice and dark. It's rich. And not only did we have all the beers, but we had the ice cream well, we <laughs> made you, with their beer. You had the ice cream. I had the ice I, cream I because was not... the nice gentleman behind me gave me a sample in a very strange way. I probably shouldn't have eaten it, but, you know, we, if somebody shows we were... ice cream in my face, I'm going to eat it. Yeah. So. I'm not going to say no. Yeah. Oh, do you want to eat ice cream? Yeah. Do you want ice cream with alcohol in it? Yeah. yeah. I'm okay. not going to say no to any of this. Yeah. Weird, but thank you. It's happening. <laughs> I'm doing it. And we are being very thematic tonight as we recently returned from the Nashville Rock and Pod Expo. It was very fun. It was very fun. We did return technically two weeks ago, but, or, yeah. No, less than two weeks ago. I don't know. It's been it's a blur. Been, yeah, no, a week ago. But last <laughs> week's episode we had had pre-recorded. We had a lot of episodes under our belt pre-recorded. That's why this is so weird yeah. for us right now. August has been just a fucking like circle jerk of ridiculousness. Yeah. And we don't know where we are. What is my name? We don't know our names or what's happening. But we're back. Yes. And everything is under control. Yes. Sure. <laughs> 
<laughs> sure it is. But we had a great time at the Rock and Pod Expo. That was really fun. We got to meet folks from Growing Up Rock podcast. They were really mm-hmm. nice. We got to hang out with Lee from the Stellar Tramps Like Us Bruce Springsteen podcast. You mm-hmm. should definitely check out both of them. And we got to meet our Canadian counterparts, Shanti and Lynx, from the Muses and Stuff podcast. And Wonderful they, ladies. Oh my god. And I say Canadian counterparts because their podcast talks about the other side of what we talk about. So we talk about a lot of the artists and the music they make and their stories, but they actually talk about their significant others or family members, and they have stories about groupies, and And it's really good. a lot of the people that are behind the biggest groups that have ever been around, their biggest inspirations, and, of course, their muses. Yeah. So So it's it's very good. It's And they're Canadian, so... (laughs) Hence the Canadian counterpart. And they're also just very sweet and nice and polite and very much not loud and obnoxious like we are. Yeah. They're very nice. <laughs> we are not. I We interviewed with them. And, you know, whenever that goes up, we will give a link out to their podcast. Which, but you should totally check it out anyway. And there were some fun and interesting people. Oh, yeah. Um. And we had, <laughs> I felt like we were way too baby and awkward to talk oh, to a lot of people so that baby were there. And awkward. So we just kind of chilled at the bar for a while <laughs> until we like downed a couple drinks and then felt a little bit better. We're nothing if not on brand. Right. Just what I think is funny is I had been wanting to meet them for a while because I've been listening to their podcast and I kind of fangirled out a little bit. <laughs> and I know that I shouted and swore a lot during our interview because I was nervous. But we shout and swear a lot anyway. Yeah, but so. I feel like maybe I should be a little better in interviews. We're learning because like you said, we're we baby. We're baby. We don't know we don't how know. to do this shit. We're learning. So I don't know how to interview or... Be interviewed. Be interviewed. So if you I'm want not an gonna... awkward time, you give us a call. It's going to get real awkward real quick. Call Maggie and Ashley for an awkward time. Well, we should start just writing that in bathroom stalls. <laughs> no. No. I mean, we don't have to put our phone numbers. Just, you know, let people know the just truth. Just call our names. We'll hear you. But while we were in Nashville, you know, it inspired us to want to talk about Johnny Cash. And we got to go to the museum, which was great. And also shout out to Muses and Stuff again, because they have an episode on Vivian Cash, his first wife, who has a severely underrated story. And she really gets uh, washed in a negative light when you watch movies like Walk the Line or even if you watch the documentaries. We've already talked about how Walk the Line is quite inaccurate. Quite. And I remember when it came out, Johnny Cash's children yeah the at least i think roseanne and maybe cindy maybe i don't remember which pretty much said i don't want to see or they saw it and did not well they they saw it before it came out and they were really pissed off because they were like you you guys kind of make our mother look like she's a monster or something but she's not she's just an extremely frustrated housewife who is left taking care of children while her Husband goes off, fucks some other lady, and gets high and drunk all the time. Yeah. How would you feel? Are you going to be cool with that? I don't think anybody yeah. would be cool with that. Thank you. Are. So she gets portrayed not exactly 
in a great light yeah. in that movie. And I completely understand right. why they'd be pissed off. So I would highly suggest checking out their episode on Vivian Cash. But listening to that and the fact that we're going to Nashville really inspired me to be like, I'm going to do a Jenny Cash episode. Yes. But all in all, we had an excellent time in Nashville. Yeah. And we'd go back. We would definitely go back next year. Maybe we could get a table. Maybe. maybe That'd be maybe. cool. And then we can just... Drink and talk to roadies. That's kind of what I really want to do. Yo, the roadies at the fucking expo. Shout out to the roadies. Were amazing. They were the best. I just want to do an episode where we just interview all the roadies because they have stories. Yeah, if you are not going to find in a book or an online article, they got the good stories. They do. So if you're a roadie, hit us up. We. kind of want to interview you we want all we'll figure out how to interview and interview you we'll figure it out and uh before i get started i am going to shout out my references there is the actual autobiography by johnny cash just called cash it was his second autobiography written in the 90s it is a good book but it's a lot of him telling stories which is great if you Mm want to hear his stories however i need like a nice structured this happened then this happened then this happened then yeah and for that, I used the Johnny Cash, The Life, but that's on Audible, so I'm listening to that. And I also used a graphic novel called I See a Darkness. Huh. That's about kind of the earlier life of Johnny Cash. And amazingly, it's pretty informative and accurate. So I would highly suggest all of those things. Well, I'm pretty sure that this is the most referenced um, and, we, and, and we went to the museum. So we it's like at this museum. point, yeah, I have never referenced anything so much in my life. Yeah. And I think that's why I'm so overwhelmed. <laughs> there is so much. There's a lot. He lived a life. He definitely lived a life. So pack your bags. We're going. So Johnny Cash, the man, the myth, but mostly the legend. He crossed over genre lines many times in his career and had the ability to bring people together through the bonds of music. And he very much told the tales of his life through his music. The story of Johnny Cash is one with the highest of highs and the lowest of lows. And that said, there is a lot of hearsay in it as well. Some of the stories have been fabricated even by the man in black himself. And we're here to try to set the record straight as best we can. But there's stories. So February 26, 1932, Carrie Cash gave birth to her fourth child, J.R. You might think that's some random sibling, but no, Johnny's birth name was J.R. due to the fact that his parents couldn't agree on what to name him. Such a weird thing to then agree on. Yeah, and he's their fourth child, so they've gotten this right three other times. I don't know why. Also, you've had nine months. Yeah. And you just couldn't agree the whole time? the whole time. So they just went with J.R. when it came time to make the birth certificate. Somebody... Was being difficult. (laughs) Somebody fucked up. Somebody fucked up. Should have (laughs) known. The Cash family were by no means people of money. In fact, Johnny has memories of his dad going away for weeks at a time and then watching him jump from the train as it passed their home in Kingsland, Arkansas. He would take any odd jobs he could in order to support his family and his ever-growing child needs. And yo, hopping trains was not... Easy. Yeah. It was... In the sense that it was a rough and dangerous time. Yeah. So his dad must have been, like, tough as fuck. Oh, his father was very that stereotypical, rough, southern working guy who 
I gotta do what I gotta do. Like, I have a butt ton of kids. But like, he's not just solid. He looks solid. He's, yeah, he's like, got a severe look. <laughs> like, probably I could headbutt that guy in the gut as hard as I possibly could and I would injure myself. Yeah, probably. He, yeah, he would take any job he could and that meant going anywhere he could. And you can't afford a train ticket, so you just, you hop trains. That's how you do it. Luck would come for the family in the form of then-president FDR and his New Deal solution. One of the aspects was to create farms for lower-income families to own and operate. So Johnny's father, Ray, applied for one and was selected, which moved them to a cotton farm in Dias, Arkansas. This was in the 40s? 30s. 30s. Yeah. Something that always stuck with Johnny throughout his whole life was the plight of the poor and the blue-collar worker. He always sympathized with the working class and understood their lives a lot better than most musicians. Obviously, this is something that he learned at a very early age. Back in these days, the whole family worked on the farm. You didn't hire a staff. At the age of three, Johnny was working the fields with his family. At first, just handing out water, but once he was old enough, you bet he was picking cotton. This was like back in the feudal days when people popped out kids just to help on the farm. Kinda? Yeah. And you're, you know, a good christian family if you're boning you're boning to have kids right and you're boning to have kids so they can go till the farm yeah you're supposed to have a lot of kids man you're a good family yeah and you if you're a woman then you are working that field till you pop that kid out and then two days later you're back in the fucking field oh if you're lucky two days later yeah well what do you think they did to make these long hot days go faster they sang gospel tunes i was gonna say fuck but no (laughs) You I can't fuck in the hot cotton fields. You can. It's you just shouldn't. difficult. Like, I feel like that's painful. You, like, get your bum stuck, and then I don't know, it's hot. It does, the dirt might cool you off. Like a pig rolling <laughs> oh in the fucking cotton. Right? Sure. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, they sang gospel tunes. Oh, okay. Yeah. I guess, uh, that was how they made the work day go faster. fucking... It's like the same thing. Right? No. (laughs) I don't know. I'm neither religious nor Southern. I don't know what they do down there. You never worked on a farm. You don't know. I have worked on a farm. Thank you very much. Oh, well then fuck me then. No. I I didn't fuck on the farm though. Hmm. That's not my thing. I don't know. Also, I was too young. Oh, okay. All right then. Never mind. The point is that music was a very important element in the cash household, especially to Carrie. The family also was a good, strict Southern Baptist family. God was life for them, and the hymns were their jams. Farm life had its ups and downs. When it was good, it was real good, and they prospered. But the bad was certainly memorable. Their farm actually flooded twice. It flooded? Flooded. That's yeah. not something you would expect yeah. in Arkansas. However, I, so. I don't really know shit about Arkansas, so I don't know what it's like. This isn't a podcast about geography. Uh, yeah. <laughs> we don't know. I don't know. But the point is, yeah, the years that it would flood, it was just a... A wash. <laughs> I'll finish it for you. I wasn't, wasn't gonna do it, <laughs> but you did it for me. Johnny's family life was a loving one. However, in 1944, tragedy struck them when Johnny's older brother, Jack, had a terrible accident while working in their high school shop. One Saturday morning, a 12-year-old Johnny came downstairs to find Jack talking with his mother, saying he planned on going to the shop to saw some wood to earn money for the family. But he had a bad feeling about it and didn't think he should go. 
Johnny planned on going fishing and told his brother, yo, come with me. But Jack felt it was more important to bring home some wages. On his way home from fishing, Johnny ran into his dad who said there was an accident that put Jack in the hospital and they needed to go to him right then and there. While working on the table saw, Jack got pulled in and was nearly cut in half. Oh my God. Oh. From sternum to groin. Oh. Yeah. Which he... is way different than the movie. They just made it seem like they got he like hurt his arm or something. Nah. He had to hold his intestines in. Oh my god. Yeah. I mean, some I guess good news. How was he even alive? I don't know. This... But it took him a week to die. Oh my god. He actually rallied one day and they thought he was going to be fine, but then eventually the uh, just sepsis. Yeah. And that was it. Yeah. They were like, he he cut his internal organs. He's he's not going to make it. Yeah, I don't think your body can really bounce back from no. that. But the bright side about that is at least they had time to say goodbye. There I was suppose. closure to it. It wasn't just dead and gone. Yeah. At least they had that. This was a truly tumultuous time for Johnny. Jack was his best friend and known to all as one of the kindest people you'd ever meet. He wanted to be a preacher when he grew up and spread the words of God and the gospel. Johnny always felt he could be around his brother and not worry about being judged and also had a role model to look up to in how to live a good life. When Johnny started learning how to make music, he vowed to sing gospel tunes so that he could carry on his brother's would-be legacy. While Ray Cash, as we talked, he was kind of severe. He was that stereotypical, stoic, southern, gotta work for my family. Stern man. He was a strict and stern father, to say the least. But he wasn't really the abusive type. I'm sure you know... You latch your kids back then because that's just what you did. But he wasn't a drunk. He didn't beat his kids. However, after Jack's death, there was a notable strain in his relationship with Johnny. While Jack was dying in the hospital, at one point he looked at Johnny and told him, it should have been you. Just a fucked up thing to say First to of all, Johnny's kid. 12. Jack was like 14, 15, going to school to make money. Like, I don't... Yeah, like, I don't... I don't care if you're 2, 12, or 42... Don't say that shit to your kid. And get your grieving, but come on. Yeah, I understand that. And people say some weird shit when they're grieving. But. But don't tell your kid, I wish you were dead. Yeah, I wish you were dead and my other son was alive. Could fuck him up a little bit. Yeah. Uh, you don't say. Because <laughs> it did. Because we're talking about Johnny Cash here. Yeah. And if you know anything, you know it probably fucked him up. Just a little bit. It did a little bit of damage. Because Johnny would spend years of his life doing whatever he could to win his father's approval. Ray would seriously disapprove of his son's decision to go into music, and it would be decades before the two would even start to come together in any emotional way. Yeah. I guess that's how it was in the 40s. I mean, I get it. You know, back then you don't talk about feelings. But at the same time, you also just shouldn't tell your kid you wish they were dead. That's the one thi- feeling you should not tell your child. <laughs> yeah, right. Why out of all the feelings all that the you feelings have. feelings you could have, don't say that one. Yeah, you could tell them you love them. It might make yes. you look like a Nancy, but it's probably better than saying I wish you were dead. Isn't it kind of hilarious how saying I wish you were dead and not your brother is easier than saying I love you? Yeah. Funny how that works. People are fucked. <laughs> we're, we're not great. <laughs> One day while walking home, Johnny heard the sound of someone playing away on an acoustic guitar. 
It turned out to be a boy in his neighborhood named Pete. And while Johnny was impressed with his playing, it should be said the really amazing part was the fact that Pete had polio when he was younger and one of his arms was significantly smaller than the other. Huh. So he's playing guitar with one normal arm and one very tiny arm. (laughs) It's a lot (laughs) like Mary Berry on Great British Baking Show. Oh, I don't. What? No. What? I've never watched it. There's there's new seasons on Netflix, so I've been binging them. Does one of them have a small arm? Mary Berry has had polio when she was little. What? And she has one arm that's withered. She can still use it. It's not super bad, but one arm is withered, and it's pretty noticeable. Um, but she is a very successful, like, home cook and and TV personality so over, this- over across the pond in England. Huh. I thought we got rid of polio. Well, oh, she's old. She's like in her 80s. Oh, that is very old. Yeah, she's very old. All right. Okay. She's still kicking, though. She looks good for 80-something. And had polio? And had polio. Girl. At at least I think it's polio. I'm pretty sure it's polio. Sure. It sounds like polio. It's polio now. (laughs) It wasn't polio. It is now, bitch. I'm sorry. I'm sure you're a lovely woman. (laughs) It's like, no, you had polio. But I didn't know you had polio. Okay. (laughs) You're in America. You had polio. Well, from that day on, they became friends, and Pete began to teach Johnny how to play. And sometimes they would have jam sessions where Pete would play and Johnny would mostly sing along. And that's kind of why Johnny had a rough sound at first, because he learned from a kid who had polio. So he did the best he could. Carrie was very excited to see her son take such a strong interest in music and help to nurture that skill along. She would even take him into town to catch live performances when they went through. All this gave Johnny the drive to start down the road of musicianship. So fast forward a few years to Johnny at age of 18. Just graduating high school and not wanting to stick around the cotton fields, he decided to join the U.S. Air Force. And of course, there was the added bonus of trying to win Ray's approval by serving his country. It didn't work. Yeah, I mean, you're you're trading one shitty thing for another shitty thing, so... Your dad still hates you because your your brother's dead. Your dad's going to hate you. Unless you become a necromancer. Sorry. <laughs> your dad just isn't going to love you. It's fine. Unless you're Aleister Crowley. Hmm. But your dad's probably still going to hate you. Yeah. This would be a very different story if he was Aleister Crowley. Wouldn't it be? But it would hmm. be interesting. That would be... This... Any aspiring novelists out there... There you go. We got your fan fiction for you. It's yours for free. You can take it. You're welcome. (laughs) When he signed up for the military, they would not allow him to use initials as his name. So it was there that he decided to name himself John R. Cash. Just. John R. Just R. Yep, just R. Still, just R. Just R. You could have picked anything. Yeah, but he didn't want to stray too far from what he knew, I guess. He could have done so much fun. You could have done so much you fun. You could have done so much fun, yep. and you didn't. <laughs> you could have done so much fun with that. God damn it. <laughs> he went to San Antonio, Texas for his basic training. They realized he had a strong ear that would be quite useful in the radio squadron. He was sent in for technical training to develop his skills as a radio intercept operator. Johnny excelled in his class and became the ideal candidate to send over to Germany to help spy on the Soviet army, intercepting Morse code messages sent across the world. He got so good at it that he was one of the go-to guys for particularly sensitive jobs. Wasn't he the first to intercept some big news? Yeah. 
One of them was the news of Stalin's death. He was the first to intercept that, as well as the first Soviet jet bomber when it made its maiden flight. And he talks about how when he was doing it, it was crazy because they would just send like 35 words a second. Some Mm -hmm. of these fuckers were so good at it. And he was one of the few people that could just snag enough of it to just tell everybody what's going on. Were they were these messages that they were intercepting, they were in Morse code? Yeah. Or just codes that whatever the Soviet Union made up? A bit of both? I think uh, A bit of both. A bit of both. But you had to be really good at Morse code yeah. in order to send these messages on the telegraph. And it's not just like it's not just writing words. Right. You also have to and decipher sending a, it. a letter. You're tapping this like little lever thing yeah in morse code and you're doing it really fucking fast yeah and you can only do one letter at a time so you have to spell out every single word that you're sending in morse code on this little tap with one finger yeah and it takes a long time and that's why they also had to develop their own codes for things because yeah but you ain't got time for that right so you're just sending whatever yeah you know one letter at a time pretty much over so. this little tappy thing. And that's that's difficult. Yeah, that's not... So being able to do that is hard. Being able to pick it up is even harder. Yes. At least I imagine it has to be. A few weeks before he was going to be deployed, Johnny wanted to go out with his friends and maybe meet some ladies. He wasn't really much of a ladies' man, though. He had a few relationships under his belt, but nothing all that serious. He was pretty shy. He seems like a shy guy. Yeah, and for Johnny... Emotion meant a lot more to him than just going around and just boning random ladies. Pisces? Oh, yeah. He's Pisces. Oh, yeah. I need to have an emotional connection. (laughs) I would know nothing about that. Sex isn't just sex. Sex can't just be sex. I have to love you. (laughs) And I'll make it up in my brain, though. Don't think I won't. (laughs) My lizard brain is really good at convincing myself that I love someone. And then after I have sex, I'm like, ooh, whoops. <laughs> we're, we're complicated, Pisces. It's fine. They all decided to head to the roller rink, and there he saw a beautiful young woman skating with her friend. Again, Johnny was a bit shy, so it took him nearly the whole night to finally work up the guts to try to talk to her. When last skate was called, Johnny accidentally bumps into her, Quote knocking unquote. her over. Yeah. Cool accidentally <laughs> i'm really shy and can't talk to you but here let me fucking chest bump you and knock you over yeah that was his brilliant plan lizard brain we have it it's fine here let me physically hurt you so i can make you feel better and that maybe my he has end. some munchausen's by proxy you don't know <laughs> all right it happens when he helped her back get back up, he had the perfect opportunity to start up a conversation with her. Her name was Vivian Liberto, a 17-year-old from San Antonio, and they hit it off immediately. Despite the short amount of time he had before leaving for Germany, Johnny spent as much time as possible with Vivian. He was in it for the long haul right off the bat. She was beautiful and intelligent, and he was a Pisces, so this all checks out. Yeah. Making shit up in his brain. Yup, he's about ready how to get great married. This could be. Oh yeah, no. Planning their marriage after day two. He kind of was though. He really talked about marriage with her already. Her dad was super against Johnny. He was just like, 
this, who the fuck is this guy? Yeah. Who's talking about marrying my fucking 17 year old daughter. Nobody plows over my daughter at a roller rink and gets away with it. Oh, you think you're going to plow your way into my daughter's heart? Because <laughs> you're not. But the thing about Johnny Cash too is he is, he was super fucking charming. He was shy, but once he starts to talk to you, he is a down-to-earth person. He's nice and he's genuine. He's not lying. He's not sneaking his way in there. His feelings might be crazy, but they're genuine. He also has that twinkle in his eye mm. and that, like, sly smirk. Mm. It's, that sm- it's that sly smirk. It's the sly smirk. Early 20s Johnny Cash. I'm like, you can get it. Before the amphetamines, you can get it. Early 20s Johnny Wait, what? When he was in his early 20s before he started doing oh, amphetamines. I thought you meant the 1920s. 1920s. I'm like, hold up. No. Timelines crossed here. Okay. No, yeah. Early 20s, Johnny Cash was super adorable. He was so cute. I would have, he would have charmed the pants oh. off of me. My panties would have been, well, how did they get over there? And just snake charmed. <laughs> just my panties he are just all slides snake away with moving you around. On roller skates. Slides away. And honestly, roller rink, like, that's that checks it for me. That's All up right. your alley. That's right up my alley. Let's fucking do it. <laughs> me if he tried to do that. Slide away with me on his roller skates, I would just fall <laughs> oh, no. and like slide down and then I'd be like, "All right, bye." <laughs> Should have worn rollerblades. Whoops. <laughs> but it's the 40s. I think. Yeah, I think it was still the 40s. So for the three years that Johnny was stationed abroad, they wrote letters to each other daily. I'm pretty sure the grand total was somewhere in the 10,000s region. How long was he deployed? Three years. Jesus Christ. That's more than one a day. Sometimes Johnny would write a few a day. Vivian was pretty strict on the one, maybe two a day. But Johnny once in a while would be like three or four. How did he have enough time? Well, what, what else was he when doing? You're, when you're deployed, if you're not working, you're not really like, doing anything. You can't really do much. From, you can't really even go off base if you're in a foreign country. It depends. So. Like, you get special days to go off base. From the stories that I've heard from people I know who are, who do serve, if you're not working, you're kind of not really doing much of anything. True. So for Johnny, it made sense to sit around and write her letters all day. Either about what he'd been doing or working on, or just plans that he has for them in right. the future. So he would just I feel like find this, things to talk about. This was the reason our grandparents stayed together for so long. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it was because one of them was deployed somewhere and they had nothing else to do yep. but fall deeper in love with the other one. Yep. And he told her at one point, I need you to send me a picture because I need to show... All the guys that I'm working with, how hot you are. Because <laughs> here's the thing. Vivian was gorgeous. She's beautiful. She's beautiful. Like, yeah. she is just that stereotypical Italian chick, olive complexion, those piercing eyes. She had almond-shaped eyes and Her beautiful eyebrows, brown hair. She had Can we talk nice about eyebrows. Vivian Cash's fucking eyebrows? Yeah. Because they were on point. <laughs> They are eyebrows that I will never have, and I'm so sad Yeah, to know I've been robbed of great eyebrows. Well, also, on top of all this, Johnny could be a little temperamental. So say Vivian didn't write for a couple days and he didn't get a letter from her, he would start writing her angry letters, accusing her of giving up on their relationship. Okay. 
Yeah, this checks out. Yeah. <laughs> he also could be worried that, oh, she might be trying to, like, go smooch other boys. What are you doing? You gotta save yourself for me. Right. Johnny. So, yeah. That's why there were so many fucking letters. Hey. Hey. Over here. Johnny, over here. Johnny. Jo- I'm over here. Hey. Nope. Hey, what? Oh, oh, oh. Come on. Hey, the- hey, over here. What? Huh? Gotcha. <laughs> Look at me. When she gets 12 letters in one day, she's like, better fucking pay attention to Johnny. <laughs> also, you're smothering me. Shut up. <laughs> yeah. I. If that were me, I'd be like, mm, I don't know, man. A weird. You're a little weird. You're a bit of a stage five clinger. A little bit. But I guess things, again, were different in the 40s. I guess if you roped one, you keep him. And I mean, he was cute. And he was arguably back then. It must have been the 50s by then because it was the Soviets. So then he's still doing, you know, pretty admirable work. Mm-hmm. And there was also, the Cold War going on, so he, you're saving us from the Ruskies. <clears throat> Ruskies? I don't know. We had weird nicknames for the Russians. Sure. I don't know. <laughs> um. Yeah, he w- he was in the Army. He Or in the Air, Air Force. Force. He would have ha- had a future. Yeah. I mean, he would at least have some sort of income and probably a house for the rest of his life. Yeah. So, overall... She could do worse. And if at that point, you know, her her future was going to be wife and mother, yeah. then perfect. Yeah, there you go. She could be a wife and mother with this guy. Right. So good for her. She she roped a good one. Little did she know. Oh, little did she know. <laughs> we'll get to that. Mm-hmm. Amazingly, they made it work through the distance. And after Johnny had been honorably discharged... Because they had offered him to stay, and he was like, nah, I'm good, bye. Because mm-hmm. that kind of happens a lot with the military. If, if it's not your passion, you're kind of out as soon as you can get out. Right. As soon as you see the first opportunity to leave honorably, right? then you kind of take it. Exactly. So he did. I would, to and, be perfectly honest. Oh, I, I wouldn't have even gotten in, but yeah, I sure. E- I wouldn't even volunteer, but you know, if you do... More fucking power to yeah. you, because that's something I would never be able to do. Arguably, Along- I don't think you'd want us. Yeah, no. Well, so a month after Johnny had returned, he and Vivian got married. Understandable. Yeah, they were... I mean, that was the goal, right? Go. That was the goal. Then they did it. All right, check. I mean, maybe you didn't spend enough physical time with each other, but that's okay. That's all right. I'm not this, here again, to judge. it's the 50s. I'm not judging. They don't know any better. And love wasn't the only thing Johnny was focused on during his deployment. Music was still in the forefront of his thoughts. With one of his first paychecks, he bought himself a guitar and started his first band called the Landsberg Barbarians. Landsberg? Yeah, I don't know. Oh, Germany. Germany. Okay. He just, he got together with some of the other guys he was deployed with and they would just jam sometimes, so. Landsberg Barbarians. That's very German. It feels very German. It's a very German thing. Yeah. While Nashville is considered the home of country music by many, in the 1950s, Memphis was becoming a real hot spot for musicians to get their start. With this knowledge, Johnny and Vivian decided to move there in 1954 and give this music thing a shot. Still needing a day job, Johnny worked at the home equipment company as a door-to-door appliance salesman. He was terrible, 
because he hated having to try to convince people to buy things they didn't need and couldn't afford. I relate to that. I also relate to that. Also another job I would be terrible at. What, did someone try to get you to sell Cutco knives too? No, I would just be terrible at trying to make people buy knives and vacuums and shit like that. Yeah, it's, he was terrible at it and... I don't even like going up to my friend's doors and cold calling on them. Like, I don't even want to drop by without texting somebody first and then getting the the text back that it's okay for me to come by. Same. I can't. Unless it's an emergency, you will not see me at your door without knowing about it first. Same. I can't. Not doing it. I can't. He was really bad at it. And the nice thing, though, was his boss at the time liked him and said, you know what, I'll just... And he'd, he'd, he'd sneak him a little money here and there just so he could stay afloat. That's nice. Because here's the thing. Everybody knew this wasn't what Johnny was going for. Johnny was trying to be a musician. So thanks to his brother Roy, Johnny met two gentlemen by the names of Luther Perkins and Marshall Grant. And they were just as interested in playing music as he was. So he started a band with Luther on guitar and Marshall on bass. And Johnny would sing and also play guitar. They called themselves the Tennessee Three. And because they didn't have a drummer, it was up to them to keep their own beat. And that was why they used that well-known boom-chicka-boom sound that you... Mm -hmm hear so much especially in johnny's early stuff this is also where the black uniform began years later cash would release the song man in black where he would claim to wear it for the poor and downtrodden and while that's true it's also true that they did it for form and function the three of them all going out in black looked better and was just easier to pull off than any other color or outfit and also you can find some pretty cheap clothing in black And if you spill shit on it, no one's going to notice. Right. You can just clean it and it'll be fine for your next performance. So really, he kind of is wearing it for the poor and the downtrodden because Because he he is is poor poor and downtrodden. And so are probably the other two guys he's in the band with. Right. I mean, these are all still working class dudes and they'd get together once or twice a week at night and have practice sessions. The wives would all sit together and... And play Either, bridge Yeah, and play shit. bridge and shit. Or talk about bread. And Sure. Know. Yeah. That that checks out. And talk know, about corral babies. Corral their children and talk about hairdos. I yeah. don't know what 50s wives did. But I'm going to imagine it was that. And weird, re- weird really cute dresses. Yeah. They wore them. They did. They wore the really I cute dresses. I was wondering what you were trying to say, but that made sense. You get it. I got it. (laughs) They continued to practice and tried to get their name out there, but not too many venues were interested in booking them. One night, Johnny and Vivian went to a show with this new and upcoming kid named Elvis headlining. He was fun to watch and the girls were going crazy for him because he shakes his pelvis. (laughs) And that was scandalous in the 50s. Elvis the pelvis, right? Um, Wasn't it, though? Wasn't it, though? I think it was, though. Whatever hair products he used, I need to get those. Yeah, because that was the 50s. They didn't have that got-to-be-glued shit. He was shaking around all over the place. And And sweating, but his pompadour was always great. Right? And he was in Memphis in those big-ass heavy outfits. It was hot. Yeah. This was pre-air conditioning, right? Yeah. You know what? I'm a little mad that when we were in the Country Music Museum... They didn't show us what the fuck pomade he used. 
That's Honestly, what I wanted to say. Because probably whatever he put in his hair was what was depleting the ozone layer. So that's probably why nobody or, uses it anymore. It was lead. It could have been that. <laughs> it was just straight lead. Could have been that. That's why he shot his TV. Because he was crazy because of all the lead in his hair. All right. We this figured it out, guys. Sense. New conspiracy theory. I like it. Got it. All right. Spread it, guys. Elvis put lead in his hair. That's what made him crazy. <laughs> yeah. Makes sense. It all makes sense. It's not the cocaine. It was the lead in yeah, his hair. <laughs> Maybe also cocaine, though. Could have been both. Uh, oh, cocaine. When Johnny inquired what label Elvis was signed to, he found out it was Sun Records, located right in Memphis. And it was with that that Johnny decided to cowboy up and try to talk to someone about a record deal. After weeks of visiting the office and leaving messages, he finally managed to run into Sam Phillips, the founder of the company. He arranged for an audition with Luther and Marshall by his side and genuinely impressed Sam. When they began to discuss the matter of creating a record, Johnny right off the bat told Sam he wanted to do gospel music. And Sam... Wait, so has he been playing gospel music with his band yeah. up until now? It's all been gospel. Pretty much. Okay. Is it is it making sense why no one's booked them for their venues now? I mean, but it it does, but in a way it also doesn't. I don't know. It's the fifties. Times are changing at this point, and this is so. Sam was not about this because he said, "Yo, gospel just isn't selling anymore." Yeah, I mean, I guess gospel was more thirties and forties. Yeah, that's fair. I think that's fair to say. It just it wasn't impressing people. People wanted Elvis. Yeah, the pelvis. Right. You so, didn't have to be sexy. You just had to be interesting. Yeah. So I think maybe if they turned that into blues or mm-hmm. something, it would have been more palpable yeah. to people or at least more enticing for a record deal. Exactly. Well, Sam was not having it. He said, look, you're talented. I want to hire you or I want to sign you on, but you got to you gotta come back with something else. And Cash had told him he had this song called Hey Porter, but he didn't really think it was very good. He performed it for, they performed it for him anyway, and mm-hmm. he's like, nah, this this is good. This could be a single. Mm-hmm. But I need you to come back and write me a B-side. That's not gospel music. That will actually sell a record. Because back then, they weren't making full LPs like we do now. It, you made a single. And you right. had one side with one song and one song with the, one side was the B-side. Right. He just needed two songs. So Johnny had to go home, work on a B-side. He told them to really have a love song, a real weeper of a love song. Something... This is what Sam told them. Yes, yeah, Sam okay. told the Tennessee Three, work on a song, a nice good crier. and Which took... is typical for a B-side. Yep. Like, if you have a peppy A-side, right. you're single, then the B-side, most of the time, is a slower one, something you probably wouldn't release as a single, but right. it's still really good. Exactly. So it took Johnny a few weeks but he managed to come up with the song Cry, Cry, Cry. Sam loved it. And after a lot of sloppy takes, they had themselves their very first single record. Hmm. So the side A was Hey Porter and side B was Cry, Cry, Cry. Which is interesting because Cry, Cry, Cry becomes a more popular song. Yup. Which Johnny actually, happens. Johnny tends to do this a lot in his career. He has to come up with the B side, he comes up with it, and it ends up being bigger than his A side. But the fun thing about Hey Porter is... Already right now, you're seeing how Johnny's taking his own life as inspiration for his music. It's one of his many songs about life on the rails, and it's just taking stories from his youth when he used to watch the trains go by on the tracks near his house. 
he's got already, I'm just going to take my life and make it a song. And also, interestingly, it reflects back to his dad, who would ride the rails to take odd jobs for his family. Hey, Dad, love me. Please. (laughs) Please, I love you, Dad. But it just, it goes to show what a good storyteller Johnny Cash is. He can take his own shit and say, here's the story and kind of spice it up. And then there you go. It's a good, good old fashioned tale. He's really good at taking something kind of Mm ho-hum about his own life, which maybe wouldn't be too interesting to other people and exaggerating it. And then kind of working that into his own legend. Yeah. And working it into his own history, even though it might not be exactly factual. Right. It still creates this mystery and this, this story behind this man in black. Right. Because... He is so good at telling stories that people believed all of his songs were his story when half of them really weren't. Yeah, well, what was the one? Folsom Prison Blues. Folsom Prison Blues. Everyone was like, oh, yeah, well, he lived that. He was at Folsom Prison. He no, never he went never to went prison. To jail. He, he never went to jail. No. Right. And he certainly didn't go, go to Folsom Prison. Right. But everybody believed he did, and he never said no, I didn't. Yeah. And that's the interesting about, thing about Johnny Cash is in interviews, in his books, he says, I kind of make up stories. I exaggerate a little because oh, he, he, wants totally the story, know, he wants he the story he to be more interesting. Yeah. Of course he knew he did it. So that's kind of the thing, too, is a lot of his stories are hard to tell what's real and what's not. Because he'll say, this is how it happened. And then if anybody calls him out on it, he says, yeah, I kind of exaggerated. Yeah. So he knows what he's doing. At least he messes up to it. He'll usually be a little coy about it. Like, like, that's how I remember it. (laughs) Mm. Cute little Johnny Cash sly smile coming up. And everyone's just like, oh, Johnny. Oh, Johnny, you little... You scamp. Scamp, that's it. You scamp. Scamp. So before they released the album, Sam believed the focus of this group needed to be on Johnny and that the name Tennessee 3 just wasn't going to work. But he also didn't think the name John R. Cash was catchy enough. So upon signing his contract, he officially went by the name Johnny Cash. And his band would be introduced with him as the Tennessee Two. So it was Johnny Cash and the Tennessee Two. Oh, sure. Sure. Because that's catchy. Don't give him a drummer. Just make him two. Yeah. Yep. (laughs) That's fine. That's fine. It works. It totally works. Cry, 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 like we said, became an immediate success for Johnny, breaking into the top 20 charts. Sun Records promoted him throughout radio stations and even had him doing live shows. So they're they're getting out there. All right. We're making something with this. So bluesy-ish was kind of the way to go. There you go. And not wanting to waste any time, Sam asked Johnny to work on his next single so they could get him in the studio as soon as possible. Johnny was inspired by a 1951 film he saw called Inside the Walls of Folsom Prison. He also recalled a song by Gordon Jenkins called Crescent City Blues with the opening line about hearing a train coming round the bend. By combining these elements, he came up with the quintessential Folsom Prison Blues, like we just mentioned. So he kind of just stole it. (laughs) <laughs> actually he did and he got sued for it years later and he had to pay like a hundred thousand dollar settlement <laughs> that's kind of funny because <laughs> at first he's like nah man this is totally my song and then they're like no and he's like okay <laughs> so because that's how johnny works he's like nah this is real this is true and, and then somebody's and then they're like, like no it's not and he's like no nah, it's not I'm yeah sorry, you're right i'm not. sorry I, I lied again because if you call him out he's like that's how i remembered it yeah. smirk 
Give me money. Okay. All Here right, you go. Fine. All right, fine. I got enough fine. of it. It's okay. Whatever, take it. He paired it with the B-side, So Doggone Lonesome, and both were very successful, getting into the top 10 of the country western chart. This was enough to get Johnny Cash and the Tennessee Two to do a few tour dates with Elvis. This meant more time on the road and more time away from home. Vivian not only missed her husband, but also worried when he saw when she saw all the ladies fawning over him and the other musicians, mm-hmm. which is understandable. I they weren't going crazy for him like Elvis, but women were charmed by but him. But still, if you're doing tour dates with Elvis, you're going to get the sloppy seconds. Ooh, gross. Right? Woof. Or just the rejected ones. Right. So... There's still going to be girls hanging around that can't get to Elvis, but they can get to Johnny. Well, and what's interesting is Johnny was a little judgy about Elvis saying, oh, sometimes I see him with seven or nine girls a night, just back and forth, whatever. Johnny was no saint, and I'll get to it, but I kind of think the way Johnny rolled was a little worse. But I have my reasons. Yeah. <laughs> And now that I'm saying, like, it was cool that Elvis boned a bunch of ladies, like, I hope he's wearing a condom, but it was the 50s, and I don't know, did you, did they have condoms? I, was it still sheep's bladders? I don't know. It might have been. It could have been. It I don't been. know. I wasn't around. Neither was I. Johnny took this as an opportunity to create some more music, again, from his life. When talking about all the girls everyone was meeting on the road, Johnny said that didn't interest him because he walks the line. I imagine you know where I'm going with this. Mm-hmm. Walk the Line became Johnny's anthem for Vivian, so she could rest easy knowing that he was staying faithful to her. He also snuck in some references to God so he could push along his little message of a higher power, you know, under Sam's nose, so he wouldn't notice. Mm -hmm. And of course, it became, like, the fucking hit for Johnny right there. Yeah. That was, like, he was getting there, and that was the thing that just really pushed him up into, you're fucking famous musician now. Originally, it was written to be a much slower ballad, but Sam decided to record them playing it faster just to see how it sounds. Oh, I just, just want to see, see guys. I just see. Oh, mm-hmm. hey, this is the take. We got it. You're yeah, done. You're good. He didn't tell Johnny that he preferred it that way, so he released it behind Johnny's back. Dick. Yeah, but. But good down- move. Yeah, Johnny was mad at first, but later down the road, he said, nah, this was the better take. And he was right. He was right. And Johnny also will admit many times, I don't have a great ear for music. I just write the songs, but the producers are the ones who make it sound the way it should Arguably, sound. Arguably, that's why producers are there. Exactly. Johnny was more than ready and willing to do what was necessary to get his music out there. So he, Luther, and Marshall would tour for weeks at a time. This meant excruciatingly long car trips to get where they needed to be, perform for a few hours, pack it up. And on to the next stop. They weren't even on buses or RVs or anything. They were in cars. Yeah, they were using Luther's car, tying the base to the top. They wouldn't let Johnny drive because they said Johnny was an absolutely terrible driver. (laughs) So it was usually just Luther driving. Sometimes Marshall. But yeah, it was just the three of them in a fucking car packed up. They didn't have a bus driver. This wasn't what they They did then. They didn't even have a van. No. This was a car. And it wasn't like they could stop in the middle of the night if they were really tired. Mm-hmm. This is also the 50s. It's not like a Motel 6 is every exit. Right. And um, I assume this was probably 
in the midst of Eisenhower's big, we need to make all of these super highways to connect the entirety of America. Sure. So. (laughs) History. The reason we have interstates now is because of Dwight D. Eisenhower. And he made this big push to have all of these big highways built so that the entirety of the United States could be linked and we wouldn't just have to trudge along on two lane routes through the entire United States. Right. But I'm pretty sure this is pre that. Yes, it has to be. So it's a lot of dirt roads. Just imagine driving from one one side of the country to the other now it's way worse yeah. back then because you're on a two-lane road the entire time. They're staying south Midwest. It's not even like they're California, New York. Right. Where it was more metropolitan and busy. Yeah. So, yeah, this is not... This is like Midwest-ish. Yeah. This is tough. This is really hard on them. And they'd get into accidents sometimes. Somebody might fall asleep at the wheel. Right. There, there would always be something. Life on the road began to wear on the boys, but especially Johnny. He found himself needing to wake himself up before performances. He just couldn't get the kick he really needed. And that's when someone offered him pills to keep him fresh and ready for each show. Johnny loved the feel of being on amphetamines. He could get shit done. He was energized for shows. It was a magic pill that solved a lot of problems for him. Especially when you are really bad at just going up to people. Yeah. And just starting a conversation. Right. If you're kind of socially awkward a little bit, kind of helps to be on an upper. Yeah. Because then you figure, all right, there's a little confidence boost. Right. Well, obviously, addiction was quick and imminent. He went from taking a couple a day to 10 or more a day. That's a lot. Yeah. I, You're quintupling your out intake yeah, here. Yeah, and it was quick. It was, again, Pisces. We got addictive personalities. Yeah. I'm really lucky that I either don't have it or I just have it in dumb things like food and emotions. You have the ability to be like, this is too much. Yeah. I need to stop. Yeah. And then you stop. I mean, I think I drink a lot of beer and alcohol in comparison to some people, but I am by no means an alcoholic. Right. But there's people who don't have the ability to recognize how bad it is. Exactly. Case in point, Johnny, Johnny Cash. Cash. Case in point, Kurt Cobain. Right. They, Especially when they have this super artistic personality, mm-hmm. too. They're musicians. They have some level of fame, and they feel like they need to be on all the time. Yeah. And I think they also share something in common. They definitely feel, I should say, they definitely felt guilt over their addiction. They know it's wrong. They know they shouldn't have it. Yeah. They know they should stop. And you know what they do to deal with that? Is they take more of the drug. Yeah. And, and I that's think, how you deal with the guilt, is you just take more drugs. And I think Kurt Cobain felt that way, too. Exactly. Because you could tell just from reading his interviews that he knew that doing heroin was wrong and he shouldn't do it, especially after he became a father. He was like, I really shouldn't do this. I need to stop. But that's exactly when his heroin addiction got way worse. So Because he knew it was bad. Right. And he knew he shouldn't be doing it. But it's always this, like, this is my last 
This is my, my last, last hurrah. Yeah. This is my last shoot up. This is my last, you know, snort of cocaine. This is my the last time I'm taking pills. This is the last time whatever. Yeah. It's never the last one. It's each not. each time you do it is always the last time. Yep. Until it actually is the last time. Right. And when Johnny starts, he just figures, I just need it to get on stage. I yep. just need it to give me confidence. I just and you then know what? you need it all the time. It's me with fucking monster energy drinks. Oh my <laughs> Every day I'm like, this is my last one, and it's never my last one. It's never one. my last one. I know I had one today, and I was like, I shouldn't drink this. I should just use my energy. And I was like, I don't have it though. But I don't have energy. I need, I need a monster. But I also can't that drink is... coffee every day because it hurts my stomach. This is nothing in comparison <laughs> to amphetamines. I'm, I'm glad I have limited it to monster energy right? drink. It could always be worse. Granted, probably still is expensive. But fucking I'm right. limiting it to monster energy drink. There you go. I spend hundreds a year. <laughs> hundreds on those fucking things. At first, people would joke about Johnny's nervous and erratic behavior on pills. But those jokes quickly became concern. It began to affect even his home life as Vivian noticed a big change in her husband's personality. He would come home and stay up all night, work on music, be kind of cranky if he interrupted him. And then he would sleep. For long stretches of time, because once you come off of that... You're dead. You're dead to the world. This caused much discord in their marriage. I can imagine it would. Yeah. I mean, any kind of personality change that dramatic would be pretty detrimental to any marriage. Right. Especially when it's interspersed with very long periods where you don't even see the other person. Exactly. She finally sees him, he comes home. And he's a fucking dick. Yeah. Like, or he's just, I'm sleeping the whole time. Yeah. I'm not, not taking care of the kids that you've been all. taking care of. The kids actually want to spend time with him. There are many times when, in interviews later, his kids say, you know, sometimes I just, I wanted to spend time with him and he would just be this weird, angry, different person. Mm -hmm. But then sometimes he would be wonderful and he'd be my dad. And that's what drugs do to you. Yeah. Vivian was proud of the work her husband was doing, but also wanted him to be a husband and a father. Right. She sometimes wished he would just work a steady nine to five and didn't always understand why he had to be gone all the time. She didn't want their children growing up with an absentee father. By 1961, they had four daughters, Roseanne, Kathy, Cindy, and Tara. And fun fact, Roseanne is named after Johnny's nicknames for J Vivian's breasts. Seriously? He named her breasts Rose and Anne, so their first daughter is named Roseanne. That's bizarre. Creepy. Little, I mean, she seems to be fine with it, but still, yeah. That's fine. But That's also, a choice. hey, who are you named after? My mom's tits. Right? But then her father didn't have like, a real name either. This seems to be a thing. It's a theme in the Cash family. Yeah. Being bad at naming your children. Maybe you should like literally sit down and just figure it out. You know, they make books. Yeah. They make Guys, books they make books for full this of shit. names. Just fucking full of names. You can just fucking spin through it and close your eyes and pick one. Yep. That's all you gotta do. And it still probably would have been better. I mean, Roseanne's a lovely name. It is. But you named her after your mom's tits. <laughs> like, yeah. Better than being named after Roseanne Barr. I also I want suppose. you to know, this is before the amphetamines. <laughs> <laughs> so, Johnny's always been a little bit of a... 
Sly dog, I guess. I just find it funny that the man who really wanted to make it big playing gospel music named his first daughter after his wife's tits. Yep. Again, Pisces, we are very complicated people who say one thing and do something completely different. And you look at us like, why did you do that? And we're like, what do you mean you're attacking me? Then all conservative Christians must be Pisces. There's a hell of a lot of Pisces in this country. I'm a little sad to be associated with that, but you're not necessarily wrong. Right? I can't. Yeah, I can't really come back at that. I'll think about it. There you go. On the road, sometimes the pills would cause outlandish behavior on Johnny's part. Obviously. You don't say. Yeah. (laughs) He and the boys were already pranksters. That was a big thing. If you were going to roll with cash in the Tennessee 2, you got to fucking be able to laugh at shit. But being high as a kite really kicked it to 11. Yeah. They stopped being so much pranks and started just being kind of vandalism. There were stories of destroying hotel property so often that he could accurately guess the prices of furniture in his room when he'd walk in. (laughs) Yeah. He would break things so much. He'd be like, that lamp's $20. That chair is $85. So did he have to pay for the shit he broke himself? Constantly. But well, what would happen is his manager would say, dude, you broke all this shit. And he'd say, all right, just fucking give me the bill. I'll pay it. It's like the original bad boy. He was before there was Green Day. Oh. And Motley Crue. Yeah. And all it was of Johnny them, Cash. It was Johnny Cash. Once he was upset that he and the Tennessee two didn't have adjoining rooms. So he cut a hole in the wall with an axe. Where did he get the axe? I don't know. Probably the same place that he got the black paint that he painted his hotel room one time because they didn't like the pink wallpaper. Where did he get the time? You had nothing else to do? I guess. But that I is guess kind when, of my question. But I guess Where, when, you're ho- than, when you're hopped up on, on amphetamines, amphetamines, there you go. You only need 15 minutes to cover that whole wall. I'm not going to lie. This makes me a little curious to see what life would be like in amphetamines, but then also no. It just makes me want to hire people who are on amphetamines to paint my house. That's, I'm, I'm, my living room still needs a good painting. So, you know. My bedroom too. Yeah. We could do that. Let's hire some high in amphetamines paint service. We're going to get this job done (laughs) in two fucking hours. We're going to be annoying as shit, but we're going to get the job done real quick. (laughs) Quickest company in the area. I'll take it. Shit. You just got to pay for their habit, I guess. Drugs and mischief. Wait, they can call it paintphetamines. I'm fucking leaving. I don't need to be here for this. Drugs and mischief weren't the only things waiting for Johnny on the road. He may have written the song Walk the Line, but that didn't mean he always stuck to it. We all know about June Carter, but Mm -hmm. there were a few women in his life that he would fall for. The thing with him was that he wasn't really into one night stands. Like I had mentioned earlier, he kind of was grossed out by Elvis just kind of boning random girls. Johnny's thing was that he wanted relations to mean something. Therefore, he'd only end up with women he knew really well. And I'd like to make the argument that I think if you're going to cheat on your significant other, cheat on with somebody who doesn't fucking matter. If you cheat on them with somebody who fucking matters to you. That makes it ten times worse. Thank you. Right? That's what I'm saying. Yes. Because there's the emotional attachment. And then that makes you even more insecure because you're like, wait a minute. Like, it's one thing, like, you want to, like, sleep with some five foot six, 145 pound blonde chick. 
go for it. Mm-hmm. But like, if you're doing it because you're in love with her, hold up, that we, this changes deserves things. a much deeper talk yes. over the course of multiple marriage counseling sessions. I get it. If I don't <laughs> look a certain way and you want to just fuck that, that's one thing. Or like, I get it if we haven't been together for a long time and you just need to like bust a nut on some chick. Get it. But, but <laughs> if you're getting to know someone. Having an emotional relationship, telling them you love them, that's not okay. Yeah, that's not okay at all. So that is my argument for, I think Johnny's a little worse than Elvis. He's not telling, Elvis isn't telling these girls he loves them. He's like, nah, we're going to hit it and quit it and I'm gone. And those girls know exactly what they're getting into. Johnny will have long, drawn out relationships with these women and then sleep with them and then they all start to think about having an actual relationship. Yeah. Which isn't nah. great. Yeah. For a brief time, one of those women was Lori Collins, who met Johnny on the road. Despite her being only 16 and he being in his mid-20s, that didn't stop him from developing feelings for her. Wait. Hold. I see your face. Nothing had ever transpired between them. What do you mean? They never boned. They never had any physical relations. But... Johnny was basically falling in love with her. Was she, did she just like follow them around or something? Um, when that, back in those times you would tour with a lot of the same similar acts or they would end up on TV shows together. Right. And so he got to know her really well. Wait, was she in another act? She and her brother were, were the Collins siblings and they did their own act. They were on like Ricky Nelson's show. Okay. She was dating Ricky Nelson for a while. Okay, gotcha. And he actually said he didn't want her marrying him because don't send a boy to do a man's job or something along those lines. Well, it's not for you to decide. Yeah. First of all, you're like almost 10 years older than her. Yep. Secondly. You're married and you have four children. Boom. Now, like I said, nothing happened between them. There were definitely talks of feelings and the like, but... I find it extremely hard to believe that they never boned. Well, here's the thing. It wasn't on part of Johnny. That wasn't why they didn't have relations. It was because of Lorraine. She m- did have strong feelings for him, but she wasn't comfortable having an affair with a married man who's that much older than her. She's 16, 17. Right. She's not super comfortable with this. But also... uh like, what other fucking relationship has she ever had? Ricky Nelson. That's it. <laughs> but also, Johnny's manager, Stu Carnell, stepped in to help the musician from making a huge mistake by marrying Lori himself. Good. He was like 30-something when oh, she gross. was 17. It's okay, still no, gross and it's still weird. But, I mean, good for Johnny. Johnny was yeah. pissed and he was left a little raw about it. But this was right after Jerry Lee Lewis scandal. Wait, wait, wait. Where he marries his fucking 14-year-old cousin? Like, Pump the brakes first before we get into that. I don't I don't, I don't think there's any pump of these brakes, by the way. Like, <laughs> you're no trying. Brakes. There's no brakes. brakes. Fucking, we're flying. <laughs> yeah, Jerry Lee Lewis is a whole other fucking story. Right. Um, but that was definitely fresh on everyone's mind when right. Johnny's getting into Lori. Right. So, was this girl in a relationship with Ricky Nelson, Johnny Cash, and Johnny's manager all at the same no. time? This was something that was developing throughout probably about a year. But still within a year? Yeah, I know. I mean, like, shit moves quick in the 50s. Holy shit. Yeah. All right. She's cute. I'll give it to her. She could get it. 
I mean, <laughs> whatever. I'm not. I can't judge. It's the fifties, and your main goal is to marry somebody. So yeah. you could be a musician, but also you got to get married and have babies. Yeah. Another woman who played an important part in his life was Billie Jean Horton, wife of Johnny Horton and widow of Hank Williams. Oh. She had been married to some guy, and then Hank Williams. Hank Williams dies. She marries Johnny Horton. Okay. And Johnny Horton and Billie Jean were very good friends of Johnny and Vivian. Okay. So Horton and Cash were very close. Johnny claimed that there was a lot of similarities between him and his older brother Jack. So that relationship meant a lot to him because Horton's this real nice, good dude. He doesn't really do the drugs and the drinking and the women, and he's pretty godly, so... Mm-hmm. He has a lot of feelings that he had for his brother. So he looks to Horton as kind of a role model. He doesn't follow anything. Mm-hmm. But in the similar vein of his brother, Horton never judged Johnny. He just kind of lets him live his life and was trying to be as guidance to him as possible. Okay. Unfortunately, in 1960, Horton died in a tragic car accident when a drunk driver hit his car. Fucking everybody die in a drunk, drunk driving accident? accident? Or a plane. Or plane. Or plane. In the the 50s and 60s, you better fucking not go near planes and cars. In the 50s and 60s, nobody knows how to drive anything. No. Nothing. What's a car? If it has wheels or it can fly, you can't drive it. Mm -mm. Don't get on it. Some thought it was kind of ironic as Horton, again, was clean and sober, didn't indulge in that lifestyle. So to be killed by a drunk driver is pretty fucked. It's kind of ironic. Yeah. Though before passing, he asked Johnny, should anything happen to him, please take care of his wife and children. Because Horton also had this weird premonition that he was going to die soon. And Johnny's like, no, you're not. And he's like, "Mm, but I might. So can you take care of my wife and kids? He wasn't religious. He was a warlock. Ooh. Guaranteed. (laughs) Maybe. But even before Horton's death, Johnny was falling in love with Billie Jean. Of course he was. After his friend's passing, they began an affair that lasted for some time. He had even told Billie Jean that he would leave Vivian and marry her. However, on Billie Jean's part, she had a few issues with committing to Mr. Cash. As would I. Right. If I were in that situation. Number one. There was, of course, the factor of her friend Vivian. Right. And how easy it was for Johnny to leave her and the girls. That really gave her some pause. But you know what? That makes me think Johnny would never actually do that. He seemed pretty close to it. But number two, Billie Jean wanted to work on her own recording career and thought she should focus more on that. And having this relationship with Johnny, it just might not work. Mm-hmm. You know, because it's like, oh, you marry another musician, like you're just trying it's to... It's kind of scandalous. Yeah. You know, there's that element to be aware of. And does she of. really want that on her? Right. Because it doesn't matter what actually transpires. If Johnny were to leave his family and his wife for her, she would immediately be branded like a whore. Yeah. And a homewrecker. And yeah. you're just trying to advance your career. And she just wants a career that's not going to help her very much. No. That's going and she to realized completely that. kill it dead in the water. Exactly. So she realized that as well. But more than anything, though, the amphetamines put her firmly on the side of ending the affair. She saw how the drugs were changing Johnny, and she just couldn't put herself and her children through that. Good for her. 
I'm on Billie Jean's side. Oh, you should be, because when she broke things off with Johnny, she didn't mention the drugs because she wanted to spare his feelings. Right. So Johnny thought she was walking away to start her own career, which left him bitter. And for a long time, he hated her, didn't talk to her, and he would write shady songs about her. And yeah. Yeah, he was really vindictive about her not about her ending things because she, she was said, just trying to spare his fucking feelings. Yeah. Johnny's a little catty. He's a little childish sometimes. A little petulant. <laughs> just a little, a little bit. A little bit. But clearly, nothing stood out more than Johnny's first performance on the Grand Ole Opry in 1956. He went on stage right before the Carter sisters. And when the show was all over, he had the chance to meet them. It was a big deal for him because he grew up listening to the Carter family. Many times this story ends with Johnny saying to June something along the lines of, I'm going to marry you someday. But at this point, it's agreed that it's probably one of the storyteller's embellishments to make things sound a little more interesting. And we should mention now, I think, that it June just wasn't just a one-off country singer her no her family, family has a legacy like that's an episode in itself yeah they, that's why i'm not even touching it they go back to the 20s 20s the early even? 30s one of the very first rooted southern yeah. families that just kind of came they're out a legacy of the musician family and started off as like three core people that just generation after generation they were very famous Southern, yep, very influential, very talented Southern musical family. Yeah. That pretty much inspired every single country music or country musician that has come out of anywhere. Exactly. <laughs> for Since 1920-something, so. Yeah, and like I said, the, the Carter family deserves an episode in their own right. They are very influential, and so I'm not really going to go too much into it. Because yeah. this is long enough. But but she's been famous since since she was a kid. Yeah. So, again, for Johnny to meet the Carter family was a big fucking deal. So Sun Records did a lot for Johnny. However, as he got bigger, the smaller label just didn't seem like it was capable of handling such a large artist. They instead were putting a lot of focus on the up-and-coming Jerry Lee Lewis. And on top of this... Johnny and his crew discovered that they were only making 3% in royalties while other companies normally offered 5%. Yikes. Yeah. There was also Johnny's increasing drive to make a gospel album, which Sam put his foot down on again and again. However, Columbia Records told him he could do as much gospel as he wanted. Well, when you're that big of an artist, you can kind of do whatever the fuck you want. Right. For Johnny, going to make money no matter what. Right. For Johnny, it wasn't even so much about the royalties so, as it was about being able to do what he wanted. So in 1958, Johnny switched. It was an ugly separation between him and Sam. He kind of lied about it at first, but he didn't regret doing it. Mm-hmm. He had signed with Columbia a few months before his contract with Sun ended, and he just kind of snuck around Sam for as long as he could. But I mean, it's only a few months. Yeah. It's, but I guess I get the impression he was probably like, oh, yeah, we'll stay with Sun. Yeah, that's fine. Yeah. That's fine. Oh, but we were going to Columbia. Bye. Sorry. Bye. <laughs> the only downside was that Sun would hold on to most of his masters and unreleased materials until after his death in the 2000s. Yikes. Yeah, they had a lot of his stuff. They made a lot of money off of him. Yeah, they did. They were <laughs> fine. And it was around this time that Johnny began performing in prisons. One of the things he's most well known for is his desire for true prison reform, 
which would bring him to visit prisons to sing to the inmates in order to bring them some hope and release. His first was in San Quentin Prison on January 1st, 1958. He would continue this tradition at other locations, least of which being Folsom Prison. In the late 60s, he released live performances at both prisons that sold very well. These were moneymakers for Columbia for sure. He even got an inmate their big break when he performed Greystone Chapel, written by Glenn Shirley. The day before their performance, a chaplain passed him the song, so Johnny was so moved by it that he and the Tennessee Two immediately added it to their set list, and they sang it as their final song. (laughs) And they gave him credit and everything and said, this was written by an inmate. This is a big, important song. That's very cool. Yeah, and uh, Glenn Shirley ends up getting a record deal from it and makes some music after he leaves. Isn't it kind of funny that he was all about prison reform this early and it's just gotten worse and worse oh, and worse? Yeah. <laughs> it's not doing great. It ain't thank doing goodness, so good. Thank goodness he's not still alive to see how terrible it is. While Johnny, like we said, had never been in prison himself, his drug abuse did land him a few overnight stints in the can. And more importantly, he just empathized with that class of people. As a follower of the teachings of Jesus, he truly believed in redemption and wanted all of those who were incarcerated to see the error of their ways and to get out of jail. Mm -hmm. He believed that jail truly should be a form of getting better. It should be rehabilitation instead of punishment. Right. And that's how Johnny looked at it. In the late 50s, Johnny got the itch to be a film star. His notoriety landed him a few spots on television shows, and he did manage to land a lead role in the 1961 film Five Minutes to Live. Unfortunately, the movie was a total flop, and at this point, no one was really taking Johnny seriously as an actor. And let's not forget his drug problem. That could make him difficult to work with from time to time. He was a real Lindsay Lohan. Kind of. A little bit. It's kind of. It's that easy. It's hard to act when you already are really high. I'm yeah. yeah. But I mean, I I really enjoyed when we went to the Johnny Cash Museum. I really enjoyed the one section they had oh that showed you snippets of all of the movies and the TV shows he's been in. Right. A lot of them were period pieces and westerns. But and that stuff was like his that. bread and butter too. Yeah. That's what he wanted. And th- that's what he was pretty good at. And I have to give it to him. Later on. He wasn't so bad. Right. Spoiler alert. He does get to revisit his time in film and he does much better later. Yeah. So Being I, sober will help. I will enjoy finding these. Yeah. These precious gems. Of Johnny Cash of acting. Johnny Cash acting. Yes. Especially uh, North and South, which is apparently with Patrick Swayze. Oh, God. Who still so had his point break hair in this like old fucking colonial set movie we need it we need that in our lives i need to see it yeah and also uh he was in an episode of little house on the prairie he was also in a couple episodes of dr quinn medicine woman yeah yep. which was my jam as a child <laughs> i remember it but i never watched it as an adult doesn't hold up yeah <laughs> i don't think i could really watch it because no. first of all i would be completely distracted by the Clearly very white Indian man. Yeah. With the bright blue eyes. Yeah. Um Is that great? And yeah, I just yeah. I don't think I could deal with it. Is but that great? Patrick Swayze in North and South, I will 
I am there. Yeah, I think we're already there. I am there. We're signed up. We're first in line. Yeah. We're ready for it. I would love to watch the episode of him on Little House on the Prairie, but also it seemed like he was playing a real creep. So yeah, I don't think he was trying to. I think that's just. I don't think he was I think trying that's just to. Just what either, life was like back like, then. He was kind of trying to creep on uh, the older daughter there, and it was she's very clearly thirteen. Yeah. Ooh, <laughs> ooh, ooh, ooh. <laughs> so Especially gross. now that you know of his track record. Yeah. Ugh. Yeah. No. Ugh. By the early sixties. Johnny Cash and the Tennessee Two would share the stage with the Carter family on tour. This would be the beginning of the long road to Johnny and June getting together. But there would be a lot of ups and downs along the way. Obviously a big one being Vivian, his wife. That he's still married to. Still married to. While Johnny was still in love with his wife, it was obvious that they both wanted very different things out of their life together. Mm Mm-hmm. But still wanting to make things work, he decided to move his family from Memphis to California in 1961. I mean, this gets him a little closer to Hollywood. Mm -hmm. He's been there a little bit. He buys his own land. He builds on it. And he's just trying it out, seeing if he can make it work. And Vivian saw this as an effort on his part to forget about the drugs and the touring with June Carter and maybe spend more time with his family. Maybe. Maybe. He doesn't. No. Sorry. I don't think he does. Though truly at the core of everything was Johnny's addiction. It was something that took over every facet of his life. It made him go down dark paths that would leave a trail of hurt loved ones in its wake before he was to come out the other side. Mm -hmm. But that part of the story will have to wait for next week. Yo, we got a lot of cover next week. (laughs) (laughs) Dude, Johnny's lived a fucking life. So I'm like, this might be a three-parter. Because we're Uh, deep in it already. Yeah. Yeah. And we're only to 1960. (laughs) Yeah. Guys, he didn't die until 2003. Whoo-wee. Yeah. It's a lot. It's weird to think that he died so long ago. Yeah. It seems so... 15 years ago. Yeah, that's so weird. It is really weird. It doesn't seem like he died that long ago. It really feels like he has a strong presence still, which is interesting. I mean, I guess his influence is really stretched. Right. Suppose with that, that's a good place to put a little bow on it, a little, little bookmark for now. We'll have to come back next, see where I can get with this. Mm-hmm. For now, thank you all for listening. We mm-hmm. appreciate you. We appreciate you sticking in. But also, we need to talk about November. We do need to talk about November because we appreciate you. And November is the month of Thanksgiving, and you should be thankful. And we're thankful for you. You should be thankful. I meant, like, we should be thankful. (laughs) Wait a minute. We should all be thankful? We're all thankful. We are. But to show our appreciation for you listening and being fans, we've decided that we are going to take suggestions for episodes. Yes. We're going to try to keep them one-parters. Like, at the end of the day, we are still going to pick them. But if there's an (laughs) artist, I know, like, some of them I might be like, I don't know if I want to do that right now. But- yeah. So hit us up with your suggestions. If there's an artist or a story or just something that you've been wanting to hear, let us know. It doesn't even have to be just one artist. Right. It could be a movement. It could be a movement. It could be... An album. It could be an album. It could be one song in particular that has a lot of legend behind it. Oh, yeah, that's true. Um, It could be basically anything that's interesting and has to do with music. We will consider it. Yeah, definitely. I will say right off the bat, 
please don't just add us for this because I'm not going to pay attention. We're going to lose it. You either got to DM us on Instagram at Rock Candy Podcast. You could DM us on Twitter at Rock Candy Pod. Also Facebook at Rock mm-hmm. Candy Podcast. You can email us at Contact us at rockcandypodcast.com or just go through our website, www.rockcandypodcast.com to hit us up. But please privately message us so we have a nice, we can create a nice list because we might miss a tweet. We might miss a comment on a photo. You're better off just messaging us. We're too spastic for that. We're really spastic (laughs) and we split the duties. Hot duty. So it would be helpful if you would just message us. But please, <laughs> but suggest something to us. Cause, anything. Because I think that'd be matter. kind of fun. We'll fly by the seat of our pants and each of us will pick a couple and we'll talk about them during November. Because mm-hmm. we've already been getting some of our friends and family and even just some of our listeners being like, you should do an episode on this. So tell us again. Because we probably forgot. Probably. <laughs> we drink a lot. We do drink a lot. We drink and forget things. But we do, though. Yeah. All right, kids, you got the month of September to let us know. What do you want? What do you want to hear? What do you want to hear? From us. Yeah. What do you want from us? What do, what do you want from us, though, really? <laughs> what I don't do you even, want? I don't even know what I want from us. That's fair. Yeah. Yeah. But anyway. Yeah, so come on in next week for more Johnny Cash stories. For some part twos. Some part dose. Maybe part trace. We'll see. We'll see. But anyway. We'll, see, we'll see how next week goes yeah (laughs) and with that party on ashley party on maggie party on you crazy kids out there (laughs) adios